go ahead and get started. Um, I think there might be a few more coming in, but that's fine. They'll catch up. Uh, we are on chapter six tonight. <coughs> Lesson four, chapter six of Revelation. We're going to be talking about six seals and four horses uh, is what he saw in his vision this time. But let's start with a word of prayer and then we will jump in. Father, we are thankful that you are God. Lord, that you already know the end. You already have it planned. You know how things are going to unfold. Thank you for giving us a peek uh, through John and through this revelation that Jesus uh, reveals to him uh, that we might uh, be ready, that we might be prepared, that we would not be caught off guard. So, Father, open this up to us. Gain, give us understanding. Uh, give us wisdom, discernment uh, as, we, uh, as we walk through uh, this section of your word. Uh, Father, open it up to us new and afresh, and we just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we need to start with homework. Your homework was to answer the question, what is worship? And then what lessons on worship can we learn from chapters four and five? So, kind of give me a definition of worship. What is it? Okay. Any interaction that between an individual and God that is pleasing to God and glorifies God. Anyone else? Add to, take away from? Yep. Okay. God is pleased when it is when it is spiritual, scriptural, and sacrificial. Okay. Anyone else? Definition of worship. What is it? Okay, all of those are different forms, different ways in which we can worship God. Worship in its simplest form is ascribing worth. Okay, yep. <laughs> in its simplest form, it is ascribing worth. It is basically just stating the worth of something. Um, so we in Christian circles understand worship of God to be ascribing worth to God. Um, you can think of it as worthship is what it worship is. It's worthship, um, ascribing to God, uh, worth. Now we can also worship other things. We can ascribe worth to family. We can ascribe worth to money. We can ascribe worth to ideas. We can, and, and basically then we can be worshiping all of those things. That would be idolatry, is when we ascribe worth to something other than God. Now, we can ascribe worth to things and not worship them, because it's, it's really, a, it, God is the ultimate that we are ascribing worth to. I can value something and not worship it. Um, so it's keeping the worth in the right perspective uh, is what worship is. Now, what are some lessons on worship that we can learn from chapters four and five? And I think I said this. If I didn't, I apologize. I always want to know what verse you got it from. I said it? Okay, good. 
then you're not off the hook. Give me a lesson that we can learn, but I need to know the verse that you got it from. Right, and that, that is a very big lesson. Uh, Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And, and worship really is just describing who God is. I mean, it's, it's stating back to him who he is and uh, with the emphasis on, on the holiness of God right there. Anyone else? Another lesson we can learn. Revelation 1, 3. Okay, blessed are those who read the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. That's all a part of our worship too, is that when we're reading the word, we're hearing the word, we're taking it to heart, implying that we are living it out, that, that what we're taking in is being shown in the way we worship. Um, and so that, you know, Romans chapter 12, now this didn't come from Revelation, but Romans chapter 12, um, you know, your spiritual act of worship is to no longer be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's a, it's a transformation. It's, it's living out what God has placed on the inside. The things that we are learning, the things that we are hearing, we are living out. That's worship. Give me another one. 411. Okay, you are our creator. That, that we need to, to worship him as creator. We need to see him as creator. Um, and that we are the created, which puts everything in the right perspective um, if we see him as that. Anything else? Five, eight, and nine. All nations, right? We, we worship with all nations. And there's, an, there's even a better verse coming up uh, that, that talks about all nations coming together and worshiping. Um, so God has his believers in every nation, in all nations, or desires to. That's why we do missions, to find the unreached people groups. It's constant. Worship is constant. That's a good lesson to learn. We are always worshiping. The question is, what are we always worshiping? We are always ascribing worth to something. So in what perspective are we ascribing worth? And it is, are we understanding that place in, in light of who God is as our creator, as holy? Those kinds of things. Right. They laid down their crowns. And so we worship is, someone said earlier, sacrificial. And, and it is. We give our all. It's, it's a surrendering of, of my will, of my being, of my person, of my everything to him. 
that is worship. That's, again, getting it in the right perspective as to who God is and who I am. Is, was, and is coming. Eternal. God is eternal with that. As you read through the verses, like 4, uh, 6, through really all through the rest, um, Well, let me just go right to 5.11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, worthy is the lamb. Worship is loud. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. But in heaven, worship, at least John at this point said, it was loud. Uh, because there were a lot of voices singing. There was a lot of things going on. And uh, sometimes we think worship is soft, meditative, and it is. But we can learn from here that sometimes it's just really loud. Um, with all of, the, all of the voices and all of the, the harps going at, at once and all the activity that was going. Anything else? Time for one more. What is worship? Lesson we can learn. 5.13. Praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You guys know that, that chorus? To him who sits on the throne. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, I just love that, that chorus. And to him be glory and honor and power forever and ever and ever. Um, this, what your homework was, is something you can do with any scripture. You read the scripture, what's the subject, what are the lessons we can learn from it? And it's just that simple. For your personal study, um, you know, if you're, if you're in, a, in a small group and they're going through a book or in a Bible study and going through, this is the simplest way, easiest way, perhaps probably even the best way to study the scripture is when you read a passage, say, okay, what can I learn about whatever the topic that passage hits on? And there's a lot of topics. I mean, we could go angels in this. What can we learn about angels from chapters 4 and 5? What can we learn about God in chapters 4 and 5? What can we learn about his word in chapters 4 and 5? I mean, there's a lot of different topics we could go, go in. So when someone says, I just have a hard time uh, studying scripture, I want to give you that as a, as a helpful hint to make it easy. Um, go through, find the topics. It talks about this. What can I learn? What are the lessons I can learn um, just from, from that chapter or that, that section? Well, tonight we want to, uh, we want to continue on in this, in this revelation, in this vision that John is getting. And so let's just kind of repaint the picture. We have John on the Isle of Patmos. Um, he's caught up in the spirit. Uh, Jesus has appeared to him, gave him a message to seven different churches in Asia Minor, which is on the coast or inland. And uh, uh, he's just probably about 30 or 40 miles on an island, 30 or 40 miles off the coast. <clears throat> and uh, so he writes down the, the message to each, each uh, church. 
And then Jesus begins to show him what is going to happen, what is going to transpire in the end, end times, in the last days. And uh, one of the things he sees is this throne in the center of, of the vision. He, he sees a doorway and he steps either through the door or into the door, but whatever, he can see this, uh, this throne in the middle and God on the throne. And then there's the four living creatures, the, the lion, the, lo- the ox, the man, and the flying eagle uh, are all around the throne. And around that is 24 thrones with the 24 elders. And we're not sure exactly who those 24 elders are. There's a lot of different ideas on who they might be. So we're not going to try to nail down who they are. Um, <clears throat> and then there's a scroll. And God appears with a scroll. And there, there's John weeps because there's no one that's found worthy to open this scroll. And it's got seven different seals on it, um, signifying the importance of the information that is written on the scroll. And so there's no one worthy. And as John is weeping, an angel comes up to him and says, hey, don't cry about it. <laughs> it's all right. Look. And there on the throne was the lamb. And the lamb was found worthy. And the lamb is Jesus Christ himself was found worthy to open the scroll. So here we are in chapter, uh, chapter 6, and the Lamb begins to open uh, the, the, uh, the scroll. And all seven seals had to be broken or opened before the book could be opened. And the book really is what's going to happen at the end. It's, it's the, the final chapter, the rest of the story. And it's been sealed, and now it's time for it to be opened. And so each seal... As, as Jesus or the Lamb opened or broke each seal, something supernatural took place. Um, it wasn't just, you know, cut, 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 open it up. I don't know if I did seven cuts or not. But, um, when he cut the first one, things happened. Something supernatural happened. John saw super, something supernatural transpire. And then the opening of the second one, and again, something supernatural. And so the first four seals... Were, are referenced uh, a lot of times as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I don't know if you've heard of that uh, phrase before, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Those are the first four seals. Um, Billy Graham wrote an excellent book about 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, because it was in the early 80s, um, called the, I can't remember the name of it, the horsemen of the apocalypse, the Look at Billy Graham and type in a Billy Graham apocalypse and it'll pop up, I guarantee you. Um, and it, it walks through each of these horsemen and, and their significance. Now, the application is 30 years ago. So you kind of have to update in your own mind some of what's happening right now um, versus what was happening when he wrote it. Um, but we have these four horsemen. And so the lamb is here and he opens up the first seal. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now we need to identify who this rider was, what it is he's going to do, and when will he ride? And how do we confront this horseman? How do we prepare for this horseman? So when we see that he, this first horseman is a, on a white horse, 
Okay, what, what do we know about a white horse? And if you've read on through Revelation, what else? Purity is usually on a, a white as the signature of, or the symbol of purity. Jesus, if you read chapter 19, Jesus appears on a white horse. So could this be Jesus? No, it's not. Um, this is the deceiver. He is sent out. As soon as that first seal is open, the deceiver is sent out. And <clears throat> he is a false Christ. He's wearing a crown, okay, which signifies, now this is not a royal crown. This was the crown of a warrior, not the crown of a king. Um, so this was a victor's crown. There were two different, in fact, there's two different Greek words they used. Uh, this was the, the victor's crown, um, whereas the, the royal crown would have been a diadem, uh, was the Greek word that was used. And so um, this rider on this horse was wearing the victor's crown, the, the, um, not the royal crown. Jesus, in chapter 19, is wearing the royal crown. Um, he is the king. This is a pseudo-king. This is someone who's just looking like a king. Okay? And so he's riding over all of the earth looking like Christ. He's out and bent on deceiving. Um, notice that he has a bow, but it doesn't say anything about arrows. And so... He has a bow, he looks like a fighter, but he doesn't have anything to shoot. And so his conquering is not one of warfare, but it's more of, it's, it's a bloodless battle. It's, it's the deception of words. It's the twisting of truth. Uh, there's actually no bloodshed in what he's doing. He's just simply going out and sharing a false gospel. He's going to promise peace. And the people are going to take it. The people are going to buy the deception. And this is worldwide in this. Um, many people see him as the Antichrist, and I think probably rightly so, that this is the Antichrist being sent out. He looks like Christ. He, he's acting in a lot of ways like Christ in the things that he's doing, promising peace, uh, wearing a crown, a white horse. Everything looks great when this guy comes riding in. But it's all false. It's all a lie. So what he is going to be doing, what will he do? He is promising victory to those who will deny Christ. To those who will actually follow him, he's promising victory. Uh, if you'll deny Christ, if you'll deny God, if you deny Christianity, you will be victorious. You too will have a crown. That's the exact opposite of what Christianity says. Christianity says if we follow Christ, we will receive a crown. So he's flipping it all and going right back out the other way. Matthew chapter 24. In fact, Matthew 24, that uh, we talked about the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus talking about the end times on the Mount of Olives to his disciples. And, uh, and when, if you read Matthew 24, the first eight or nine verses are almost identical to the first seven seals, to what is happening right here. Jesus tells them it's going to happen. And then he showed John uh, as he was writing this down. So Matthew 24, 4 through 5, Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. This is that first horse. 
This is the rider on the white horse. He is going to go out and he's going to deceive many. He's going to tell people that he's Jesus. He's going to tell people that he is the way, that this is the way. This, this is, you know, Christianity is false. This is the way you should go. Um, so there's going to be a lot of false religions. It's, it's always interesting to me how many of the false religions, almost all of them, have some form of Christianity in it because of the rider of the white horse, because he wants it to look slightly like Christianity, but not quite. Um, and so uh, even if you, look at, uh, if you look at Mormonism, if you look at their Bible, it, it mimics a lot of the Old Testament. A lot of the verses that are in the, the Mormon Bible are, are from the Old Testament, twisted a little bit. Um, you look at, at Islam, even. A lot of what is in the Quran mimics the Old Testament. Um, they follow Ishmael as the line of David, as the promised son, rather than Isaac. Uh, and, and so they, they've twisted just a little, but it's going to look like, it's going to mimic. Um, and then you get the, the, the thought, well, doesn't, don't all religions lead to heaven? Aren't we all just worshiping the same God? We just look at him slightly different? Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, because we're all kind of using the same terms. We use the same, same phrases, uh, but we're not talking the same meaning in any of those. And so this rider of the white horse, as he goes out, is bent on denying Christ and offering a false religion, offering false hope. Um, while they all kind of mimic uh, true Christianity, they're going to deceive. They, they all look like, but they're going to they're, they're deny the power of Christ. And if you look, most, most world religions accept that Jesus is a historical figure. But he's not God. He's man. Islam says, yeah, Jesus, very much so. Go Christ. He is one of the prophets, just like Muhammad. In fact, Muhammad's greater because Muhammad's the last prophet. And so, yeah, they're all, you can talk about Jesus. You can talk about Jesus to a Mormon. You can talk about Jesus to a Jehovah Witness. You can talk, but they've denied his power. They've denied his deity. And so this rider on the white horse, that's what he's setting out to do. Now, we have to be careful. Ephesians chapter 4 says, uh, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's the power of the white horse. That deceitful scheming, that, that making it sound good, and then we get tossed back and forth with that. Um, it's to the point to where the church will begin to resemble the world rather than resembling Christ. That's the goal of the rider on the white horse. If I can get the church, the bride of Christ, to look and act and think like the world, that's what he's bent on doing. That's what he's bent on doing. Um, and the greatest deception is that we can, we can be God-like without God. That God is not necessary in our life. That the church is not really necessary in your life. Um, 
And so what we, what we end up with then is many will receive Christ's salvation and then try to live according to our own power and fail. We receive forgiveness. We receive salvation. But then we don't rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit and then we just try to do it all ourselves. That's the deception of the rider on the white horse. That there is no power in it. Folks, there's a lot of power in it. Christ comes with power. The Holy Spirit comes in us with power and dwells us with power. Power to overcome, power to conquer, power to overcome sin, power to uh, be victorious over temptation, power to to handle suffering, to, to press through. But if we deny the power, we receive the salvation, but if we deny the power, then we're just going to try to do it on our own. And we're going to continue to fail and continue to fail and continue to fail. Then we begin to assume that failure is normal. Everybody sins. Everybody struggles. Everybody has problems with that. Everyone struggles with that. Folks, it's not normal. Normal is overcoming. Overcoming sin is normal. But the wider the rider wider on the right horse, the rider on the white horse <laughs> wants us to believe that normal is failing. Because if he can remove the power of Christ out of our life, then he removes the victory of Christ out of our life. So when will he ride? When will that first seal be broken and when will he start riding? Anyone want to take a guess? Yes, to show he's the leader. Coming in and offering peace when there is no peace. Whenever God allows him. Now, my question is, when's God going to say come? Here's my thought. He's already riding. He's already out there. I mean, just look at the world around us. Look at what I just described for you. Does that not describe the church? So many churches are functioning without power. So many Christians are stuck in sin without power because we've denied the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been, we've been deceived to think that it's salvation and then do your best. Try to get along. Willpower. Just keep trying. Try. No. And we worship so many other things. And we try to find peace in so many other things instead of finding peace in God and in his power. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of, that's kind of where the church is at. We've blended in. Uh, we're, not, we're not all that different. From the world. I mean, even statistically, with the way we live our life, we're not all that different. Mm-hmm. Name it, claim it. Yeah. So, 
how do we confront this horseman? What do we need to do? Number one, know the truth. Know the word. Know the truth. We've got to become discerning. Uh, we've got to learn to think. Okay, that's something we don't do. Uh, my wife gets so upset with, we've not taught kids how to think. And so we have adults that don't know how to think. We wait to be told what to do, what to think. What to, no, think. Read scripture, figure it out, ask for discernment, ask for the Holy Spirit to grant you wisdom while you read. List, what can I learn? How can I now live this out? That's what we need. We need to know the truth so that when a lie, when deception comes along, we know the difference. We know that's not right. Yeah. No, it's going to be in the form of a, of a spirit at this point um, because the Antichrist doesn't become revealed until later on. And so it, it's that spirit of falsehood that is out there that he is driving it. Um, and so all the other false prophets that are, and false teachers that are popping up are working through his deception, his power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking a good point. I'm talking about the American church, not the worldwide church. Um, I think the American church is, we've had it too easy too long. And we've gotten kind of complacent and we've settled in and, and uh, well, we're just going through motions now where, yeah, church in other parts of the world are very much not like that. We don't need God. Right, which is what the rider on the white horse is telling us. We don't really need God. Um, so, know the truth, which means be in the Word daily. Be in the Word daily. Read it. Study it. Learn from it. One lesson a day. One application a day. I read this verse. What does it mean? What is it saying to me? What can I learn about some topic? How can I live that out? And then we go and we do it. Pray without ceasing. Uh, that doesn't mean we shut ourselves in our house, bar the doors, turn off the lights, and we pray means we're always in an attitude of prayer, uh, that we are always in that, that communion, that, that constant moment-by-moment uh, -moment connection with God. It's the continuing to work out your salvation. That's the not work for, but work out. So we continue to work through the, the spiritual disciplines. That's very good, of which prayer is one of them. And then be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians uh, chapter 5, 18. Uh, be being filled. Don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a constant filling. Um, and so it's a constant living by the power. It's a constant using the power. Um, and it's an endless source. So we can continually, and to be filled, we surrender uh, you know, repent, confess, surrender to him. Right. Yeah. It's a daily, it's a, it's a one-time feeling. It's a daily asking. 
uh, daily surrender of who we are, relying upon his power to do the things that we need to do um, in that. And then the last one is fellowship with others. We need, we need one another. We've got to do this together, um, whether that be small groups, Bible studies, neighbors, whatever it is. We've got to have the, the people around us of like mind, of like faith, that we are going through it with them. Uh, in that, because we cannot do it by ourselves, um, we just can't. So the rider on the white white horse, uh, I believe, is already out there. The spirit of the white horse is there, um, already deceiving. Um, we we just see it more and more and more. Um, so then he says uh, in chapter in verse three, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, "Come." Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So who is this rider on the red horse? He's warfare or bloodshed or however you want to, however you want to word it. Um, he's representing war. The first rider comes in and offers peace. Second rider comes in and steals it all away. So anyone who bought into the, the rider on the white horse and took his piece, the next guy's coming in and just going to total chaos in their life. Um, and in a sense, then, is going to destroy them, is going to kill them um, because they bought into the lie. They bought into the deception of that first rider. Um, so he's holding a large sword. What, what is this warfare rider going to do? He's going to take peace from the earth. Uh, He's going to come snatch it away. Matthew 24 says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that, none, that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are the beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning of birth pains. This is just the beginning of, of the labor, if you will, of Christ's second coming. Um, and so we have to have this deception. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Okay, we've seen that. Huh? That's already here too. Yeah, Jesus is coming to truly bring peace. Um, Paul says, you know, a peace that passes all understanding. But now there's a false peace that is riding in. Um, and when Christ comes a second time, he will write all that and reestablish his kingdom of peace. The men of goodwill. So we, we have, uh, he's going, this, this writer, again, not a, not a literal person, but this, this spirit of warfare um, is going to come over, snatch the peace away, and cause men to fight and kill one another. Um, and we can see that, I think, escalating. Um, I mean, look, look at all of just what's happened in the last 10 years in our own nation. Guns in school, you know, the massacres, the, you know, the just the bizarre things where, where men rise up and kill other people. And, and you can't really say why. I, why did they do what? There's that spirit of warfare. There's that spirit of bloodshed that, that is going to fall. 
Mm-hmm. How, very easily. Um, and so God's desire is to bring peace. He wants to bring peace with man and himself. He wants to bring peace with, uh, within our own self, that my life is, is one of peace, and that I would have peace with other people. Um, but this writer is going to come in and snatch that peace away. And is this going to cause fightings, wars, nations against nations, men against men, families against families? Um, and it's, as we can already see it, understand that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And he says, there will be famines and earthquakes. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. It must happen. Not that we stand back and watch it happen because we got work to do in the midst of it. But don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be shocked when when these stories get worse and worse and worse. Because the end is coming. It's really what we long for. It's really what we want. Not that we want these bad things to happen, but we know then Jesus is going to come and right it all. So, when is he going to ride? Again, much of this is already going on, but we have to understand that it's going to be worse before it gets better. It's going to be worse, so don't be alarmed. Uh, There's going to be much more destruction, much more killing that has to occur before Christ comes. Um, So, how do we confront this horseman? Hebrews chapter 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So make every effort to live in peace with everyone. So, and and Peter says, finally, uh, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Uh, Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. As far as your role in what is happening in the world, you make sure you're living at peace with everyone. Uh, and, And that means we live humble lives, we live holy lives, sympathetic, loving one another, compassionate. Those are to characterize the way in which we interact with other people, believers and unbelievers, but especially believers. Uh, You know, there there just should not be that kind of of fighting, that kind of uh, unrest within the church. It just should not be, because that's not how the bride of Christ is to operate. If we're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit under the direction of Christ, then there's going to be peace in this place. These relationships are going to be peaceful. These relationships are going to be uh, fulfilling, uh, are going to be loving, compassionate. Uh, Something that the world looks on and goes, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I wish wish that I could be in a community like that. Uh, But if, if we're deceived, if there's fightings amongst the bride, no one wants to be a part of that. No one wants to be a part of the wedding party that, you know, is fighting in the back room uh, before the wedding. Uh, No one wants to, I I don't want to walk in on that. Uh, I don't want to be a part of that. And uh, I've seen weddings where it was, you know, we're coming down to the last day and there's a lot of bickering going on. Well, should not be in the church. The bride of Christ should not be characterized by bickering, but by holiness, love, compassion, humble, sympathetic, um, like-minded. So if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't determine what the other person's going to do, but you can determine what you're going to do. 
So, um, so if the church struggles with that, there's no wonder that the world is going to struggle with that, and that too is going to get worse before it gets better uh, with that. All right, seal number three. Verse 5, then the Lamb opened the third seal. I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, uh, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So some say a quart of wheat. Uh, some may say... Uh, uh, three quarts of barley, um, whatever your, your uh, translation may, may say with that. Uh, this rider on the black horse can be called famine. That's probably the best name for him. He is famine, okay? Um, what will he do? He's carrying a pair of scales, uh, which means there's some measuring going on. Um, and, and weighing of things. And what we see with this is a measuring of food. A lot of times when you would go, even now, when you go to buy things, you buy it by the pound. Um, you know, and so they'll put it on the scale and they punch in how much it is and that's how much you pay. What this rider on the black horse is going to do is throw that weights and measures way off to where it's going to be incredibly expensive to buy the food you need. Uh, there's going to be famine throughout the land. Um, a quart of wheat or two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Now, uh, a pound of wheat or two pounds of wheat or a quart of wheat is about what it would take for one person to barely survive on. Okay, so you're going to work all day just to get enough food to barely survive is where this is heading. Um, if you have a family, six pounds of barley for a day's wages or... or uh, three quarts of barley. Uh, barley is cheaper. It's usually what's put in uh, livestock food. They eat barley. There's less nutrition in it, which is why it's cheaper, but you can buy more of it, feed more people, but they're really not going to be nutritious meals. I mean, they're still going to be missing a lot uh, in that. So what he's saying is there is famine coming. Um, money is not going to buy what it used to. Uh, inflation is going to be astronomical. It's going to be off the charts. Uh, <clears throat> and it's going to be worldwide. Uh, this isn't just one area. This is, this is worldwide. All of these writers are worldwide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got the peace, 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 and then you've got the guy coming in and stealing the peace and causing the wars, and now you've got, as, as in the wake of all the wars, you've got all the famine. You've got nothing really left uh, of value uh, in all of that. Um, there's going to be world hunger, uh, and with famine comes disease, because malnutrition is going to lead uh, you know, to illnesses and diseases, um, and it's just going to snowball. And again, uh, when is he going to ride? I think he's already riding. I think he's already out there. Now, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's the thing we have to understand. These are the beginning of the birth pains. So, ladies, I can't speak on this one. Okay? I have no concept of what birth pains are like. But watching my wife three times 
the first contraction, not nearly as bad as the last contraction. Am I right? Okay. These are the beginnings. What we're seeing are the early stages, those early birth pains, those early contractions, and it's going to get a lot worse before Christ comes. And that's pretty bad. Right. Yeah, unless they were shortened uh, for, the, for the elect, no one would, would survive then. Um, so how do we confront this horseman of famine? What do we need to be doing? Well, we, we do our part. Um, we, we help with the hunger. We help with the famine that is here. We, we, uh, we have, I know in the past, uh, uh, you know, sent money to dig wells so that people have fresh water. So we confront this as best we can. Uh, we have a responsibility uh, to help the hungry. We do the food drive next, you know, the third Sunday of every month. We do a food drive to, to help the Lighthouse Food Bank so that they can help those that are in need. Um, we need to make sure that we are doing our part in that. Also, that's for others. I think this is a call, too, to eat right. Watch what you're eating. Watch your own health. Uh, take care of your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to take care of it so that it can function properly, so that the Holy Spirit has a great tool to work with. So here's the piece, and now I'm going to snatch that piece away. So what does the Bible say about eating? Moderation. Not to be gluttonous. Eat in moderation. Everything is given to us to eat in its season. So if we eat correctly in moderation, balanced between, you know, we're going to go with the fruits and the vegetables and the meats and the breads. And, but if we do it rightly, we'll, we'll stand a better chance of being all right. So we have that responsibility to watch what we eat. Um, hunger is a problem in the world. Obesity is a problem in the U.S. And According to my doctor, it's a major problem in Butler. Uh, when, when in Butler, obesity is a major problem in this community, in this county, um, according to my doctor. Deuteronomy 15, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Ezekiel, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. We know what happened to Sodom. Now this was the, uh, yeah, just those two verses. Um, 
let me let me throw this out. Solving <laughs> solving the hunger problem is not the government's job. It's the church's job. We're the ones that have been commanded to take care of the poor and needy, to take care of the widows and orphans. And why is it widows and orphans? Because there's no man in that. There's no man leading the widow and there's no man leading the orphan. And so the church needs to jump in and be the man. Take care of the widows and orphans. Men of the families need to take care of their families. And then the church needs to be responsible for taking care of the poor and the needy. And there will always be poor among us. I think we have a responsibility to do that. I, mean, I don't know if it's, I, do, I don't know. I don't know that. And that's, they give out what they get in. Yeah, but they don't ask for your and and if, if we can, you know, whatever. I mean, that's, I'm not here to judge the lighthouse by any stretch of the imagination. But, but I think we do have that responsibility with the poor and needy. We have that responsibility to help, to take care of. And maybe we have the responsibility to educate if it's not being done. Now, there's nothing wrong with a Twinkie. <laughs> In moderation. <laughs> That's right, they'll last forever. <laughs> they'll be here long after the rider on the black horse. Um, <laughs> so, so, here we have a promise of world peace, then we have it snatched away, and then it's followed by hunger and disease. And then we see in, in verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So who is he? This rider of the pale horse is Death. Uh, death, and he's got Hades close behind him. And as we understand Hades, that's one of the Greek words for hell, um, is right behind. So as soon as death conquers, boom, Hades is right there to scoop him up. This pale horse is kind of a greenish-yellow, ashen color of death. Uh, this is death that's been dead for a while. Uh, there, there's no color left in here. It's, it is a... a color of death, if you will, a, a pale green, yellow, ashy looking 
and scrawny, skeleton-looking writer. That's how you can kind of picture it. There's a picture there. I've given you some pictures, at least one artist's depiction of what these writers might have looked like. Um, and you see this writer here, is the pale horse is, is really just a skeleton. And what's he going to do? He's given power to kill a fourth of all the people with sword, famine, plagues, and beasts, wild beasts. And so he's going to, as he rides out, he's going to kill a fourth of the population. Um, now, this is the natural outcome of war, poverty, illness, disease. This guy's going to swoop in and just finish it all off uh, is what he's going to do. Now, I, I looked it up. There are just over 7 billion people in the world today. That's the world. I googled world population. That's what I came up with. I think the statistics are from 2008. 7.1, or I think 7.1 billion. So a fourth of those will be one and three quarter billion. If my math is close, somewhere in there. One and three quarter billion people. That is all of China and all of the United States. Just to give you a little perspective of what this pale rider, rider on the pale horse, death, has the power to do. Now, we don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know when he's going to do it. We don't know if it's over a period of time. We don't know if he's just going to blanket the globe and boom, a fourth are all gone. Uh, we don't really know how that's. We're not told how he's going to do it, um, but he's going to do it. And we can see, if we say, you know, when is he going to ride, we can see some of this already starting to happen. We can see the, the, the wars, the people dying in war, the, the hunger, the diseases, even animal killings. I mean, we read more about that. Now, maybe it's just because we have the wonderful World Wide Web that informs us the instant things happen, but you know, there's been people going, why are we got so many shark attacks? And it seems like those are on the rise. Um, you, see, you hear of people, you know, hiking in the Rockies that get attacked by a mountain lion. You see bears coming into town. You see, you know, a lot of different just kind of bizarre things that could very well point to this type of a, of a timetable, this type of a thing. Now, again, like with all the others, um, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what I said. One and three quarter. One and three quarter. Well, good, then I'm right. Thank you. I like the affirmation. Um, but whatever, I mean, if a fourth of the people are going, you're going to notice it. There's going to be a noticeable loss of life. Um, and so I'm not thinking this is over the last 200 years. I, I'm thinking it's probably going to be a shorter amount of time. And we, again, may be seeing the beginnings of this um, in this. Uh, we're, we're seeing new strands of illnesses. You know, there's the flu bug and the virus that they haven't seen before. Uh, cancer's growing. Um, there's a lot of those kinds of illnesses that are happening. When you think of wild beasts, uh, one author that I was looking at mentioned that there are rats that carry disease in every populated area. Wherever there's men, there are rats. You know, wherever there are people, there are rats. Right. Yeah, and we don't know if it's a one-time boom sweep or if it is over a, like a year's time or... Right. Right. And, and so these things just naturally going to follow. 
um, with that. So how do we confront the horsemen? How do we confront death? Stay true to Christ. Being in Christ, staying true. He has defeated death, and he's promised us to defeat death. Um, so even if we are, even if we do die, our hope is in Christ. Um, he holds the keys to death and Hades, and this is death and Hades that are coming, and he holds the keys to them. He holds the power over them. And so following Christ, staying true to Christ, gives us victory over death in Hades. Now, there's two more seals, and we need to cover those. Um, but the first four kind of take all the hoopla uh, in it all. So seal number five, verse nine. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So, who is it that, that John sees? Souls of the martyrs is basically who he sees. Um, they're under this altar. Um, again, a, a visual that just as he's trying to describe what it is he's laying his eyes on. Um, <clears throat> these are ones who have been martyred. They've been killed for their faith. Um, Matthew 24, 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me, uh, <clears throat> is what Jesus told them. And now we see this, this fifth seal. When it is open, we, we see these martyred souls, the souls of those that have been put to death because of their faith, uh, crying out to God. Um, And these are ones, that, as, they're, as they're crying out, uh, we have to understand that this is not a cry for vengeance. This really is, how much longer is this going to have to go on? I mean, it's a serious question. It's not a, come on, put him down. You know, the guy who hurt me hurt him. Come on, God, get him. It, it's not in that spirit. It, it's truly of how, how much longer are these birth pains going to have to take place? How much longer is this going to have to go? And what is Je uh, Jesus' answer? What's, what's the answer God gives him? A little longer. I'm waiting for a number. I don't know what that number is. I don't even know how many souls would be under the altar at this point. Um, but there, God knows that when the full number of the martyrs is reached. He also says, as, as we pick up on what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that Christians will be hated all nations, you will be hated by all nations because of me. Christians used to be respected. Now they're hated. And, and we're pretty much seeing that hatred go worldwide. And even in our own nation right now. It, uh, we, we are not, uh, and even when we, you know, <laughs> I don't try to use Facebook anymore to, uh, to, to strike up a discussion because it always goes bad um, when I'm talking with, with unbelieving friends about truth and where truth comes from and why I believe what I believe because they just won't have it. Um, and, and I've even been unfriended, I guess is the t correct term, because of a statement I made, and he just could not. This friend of mine, we were friends in high school for a long time. 
could not believe that I had the audacity to believe what I believed. And he said, I've lost all respect for you. And boom, when I tried to reply to him, he wasn't there anymore. Um, and basically, I was just stating truth. Um, so you will be hated by all nations on account of me. We're going to see that happening more and more as this fifth seal is broken. Maybe it's already broken. Um, I don't know. But uh, again, we, we see this, the, the world turning against Christianity. And Jesus said, if the world hates you, hated me first. Okay? Yeah, expect it. Expect to be hated. Expect to be rebuffed for what you believe. Um, seal number six. I watched as he opened the sixth seal in verse 12. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Okay, we're getting pretty deep in the birth pains now. Okay, this is, this is not just a little contraction. This is an entire body convulsion. Okay? This is, this is not anymore just the, the uh, you know, a little area here. We've now affected the heavens. We've now affected the skies. We've affected the center of the earth is now affected by this earthquake. Um, we see that the sun was black. Matthew chapter 24 says, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Joel says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, so, so this is what we're seeing in the sixth seal. Uh, the, the sun was black, the moon was red. Uh, again, red being blood, being wrath, being judgment. As we understand it, stars falling like figs off a tree. Now, we know that the stars, it's probably not stars, could very well be meteors. But if John is sitting there looking, his best scientific guess is those look like stars falling to the earth. Um, we know the stars really are too big to, to crash in. Um, but they could very well be meteors. A meteor shower is what he's seeing. Fireballs could be something we've never even seen or experienced before. Um, crashing into earth. Uh, heavens rolled back like a scroll, um, mountains and islands removed, which means from the very core, um, foundations of the earth are going to be shaken with this earthquake. And this isn't an earthquake in one area of the world. This is an earthquake that's worldwide. Okay, so we haven't seen this one yet. We haven't seen a worldwide earthquake yet. Um, so I think we're safe to say this one hasn't been opened as yet. Uh, and then people hiding and wanting to die. Um, you know, up until this point, uh, the world kind of just was going on. People were going about their business. They were buying, they were selling, they were going to work, they were going to school, they were coming home. But now people have noticed there's something major happening, believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, and here the, the people are hiding and wanting to die. Um, so the seventh seal is where we're going to go next week. Uh, we're going to open that seventh seal, and we find out that the seventh seal contains seven trumpets. And so we're going to blast those seven trumpets uh, next week. Here's your homework. If we truly believe that this day is in the future, possibly even the near future, what should we be doing now?
as, as my professor uh, in college says, how now will you lead? Well, how now shall we live? If we know that this day is certain, and we've already seen signs that some of these writers, some of these seals have already been broken, so we know that, that the birth pains are coming, they're getting worse, how then should you and I live? Um, if, you, if you take a scroll and you let go of one end, it rolls right back up. What exactly he was saying, I don't know. Um, but it was whatever he was seeing, the heavens itself, not heaven where God lives, but the skies were rolling back. <laughs> I wish I did. Yeah, well, it said it shook the heavens. So, I mean, all of the other, the planets are going to be all out of whack, and the whole universe is going to be in chaos when this one gets opened. And this isn't even the end um, at this point. We're not even at the end yet. So, okay. So, next week, um, read 7, 8, and 9 is where we're going to be. Oh, yeah, 7, 8, and 9. We'll, we'll hit on the 144,000 that are sealed. We'll breeze right through that. Um, and then uh, we'll look at these seven trumpets that are contained in the seventh seal. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, we are thankful that you are a God again. That, that, and we say that and mean it. That you are the one leading. That you are the one in control. Uh, that, Father, none of the, the things that are happening and going on are by accident. Uh, but, Father, they are according to your plan. Father, I pray that we would remain faithful. <clears throat> that we would do the things that you're calling us to do, that we would gain discernment, that we would know your word, understand your truth, apply it, that we would live different lives, that we would live lives of hope for those that have no hope, that they would see in us something that they can hold on to. Father, that we can then bring them to you and invite them into that relationship. Lord, I know that's your desire, that's my desire. Lord, that, that, that this church would be all about that, bringing people into relationship with you. Father, until this day comes, we pray for faithfulness, for strength, for growth. Lord, that, that, that we would rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, not upon our own power. Father, we would be united as believers, not just this church, but, but, but all of your believers, your church, your bride. And Father, even in the midst of all that, we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come soon. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.